I read this poem also to remember Brother Martin. It is called Morning Song and Evening Walk. Tonight, in need of you and God, I move imperfect through this ancient city, quiet. No one hears, no one feels the tears of multitudes. The silence thickens. I have lost the shore of your kind seasons. Who will hear my voice nasal against distinguished actors? Oh, I am tired of voices without sound. I will rest on this ground full of mass hymns, too. You have been here since I can remember, Martin, from Selma to Montgomery, from Watts to Chicago, from Nobel Peace Prize to Memphis, Tennessee, unmoved among the angles and corners of aristocratic confusion. It was a time to be born forward, a time to wander inside drums, the good times with eyes like stars and soldiers without medals or weapons but honor, yes. And you told us, the storm is rising against the privileged minority of the earth from which there is no shelter in isolation or armament. And you told us, the storm will not abate until a just distribution of the fruits of the earth enables men and women everywhere to live in dignity and human decency. Three, all summer long it has rained, and the water rises in our throats, and all that we sing is rumored, forgotten. Whom shall we call when this song comes of age? Four, and they came into the city carrying their fastings in their eyes. And the young nine-year-old Sudanese boy said, I want something to eat at night, a place to sleep. And they came into the city, hands salivating guns. And the young nine-year-old word snapped red with vows, Mama, Mama, Auntie, Auntie, I did, I did, I did. In our city of lost alphabet where only our eyes strengthen the children. You spoke like Peter, like John, you fishermen of tongues, untangling our wings. You inaugurated iron for our mass, exiled no one with your touch, and we felt the thunder in your hands. We are soldiers in the army. We have to fight, although we have to cry. We have to hold up the freedom banners. We have to hold it up until we die. And you said we must keep going, and we became small miracles, pushed the wind down, entered the slow bloodstream of America, surrounded streets and reconcentrados, tuned our legs against Olympic politicians, elaborate cadavers growing fat underneath Western hats. And we scraped the rust from old laws, went floor by floor, window by window, and clean faces rose from the dust, became new brides and bridegrooms among change, men and women coming for their inheritance. And you challenge us to catch up with our own breaths, to breathe in Latinos, Asians, Native Americans, transgenders, whites, blacks, gays, lesbians, Muslims, and Jews, Chicanos, to gather up our rainbow-colored skin in peace and racial justice as we try to answer your long-ago question, is there a non-violent peacemaking army that can shut down the Pentagon? And you challenge us to breathe in Bernard Herring's words, 
the materialistic growth mania for more and more production and more and more markets for selling unnecessary and even damaging products is a sin against the generations to come. What shall we leave to them? Rubbish, atomic weapons, numerous enough to make the earth uninhabitable, a poisoned atmosphere, polluted water. Five, love and practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love and dreams, said a Russian writer. Now I know at great cost, Martin, that as we burn, something moves out of the flames called the spirit of apparition till no fire or body or ash remain. We breathe out and smell the world again. Hey, 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 amen. Amen, amen, a woman, a woman, a woman, a woman, amen, men, men, woman, 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 men, men, woman, woman, men, a woman, a woman. <laughs> ah, that was Sonia Sanchez in uh, morning song and evening walk for Dr. King on his birthday, and um, we are not honoring him. On the day of his birth, we're actually honoring him, pouring an ashe to him. The day before, um, he was killed, um, April 4th, 1968. And yes, you are tuned in to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And this is National Poetry Month. And we are going to be celebrating this first Friday in National Poetry Month with two hours of poetry, like, oh, my goodness, right? And we have some wonderful, wonderful poets in the studio, and um, my good friend and co-host today, Kim McMillan, and you know Kim because she is, like, such a literary genius, um, Dr. McMillan, I should say properly. Um, <laughs> she um, has um, sort of a help curate this wonderful uh, couple of hours that we're going to be just enjoying some really wonderful work. So, Kim, um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about um, what we're going to be doing this morning? Um, uh, hi. Uh, I really appreciate, Wanda, that you're doing this. What we wanted to do is we understand that right now the world is, it, it might seem upside down, right side up to people. And we wanted to, to bring about um, that thing that I believe poets do. They able, they're able to create balance. They're able to create new ways of looking at things through poetry. And so that's what we're doing. We've brought together about 20, 22 poets, and they're going to be reading one after the other today. And I'm really pleased that Lucinda Clark, who is the founder of Poetry Matters product, Project, out of Augusta, Georgia, is also here, and and she's supporting um, this. She also helped curate it, and I'm really pleased that we have one of our lovely poets, uh, Sonia Gutierrez, who's just absolutely brilliant. Everyone here today is just brilliant at what they do, so Mm -hmm. it's an honor to be here. Thank you. Sure. So um, are you in... uh Lucinda gonna be, you know, kicking it off with some original poetry. Oh, oh, definitely. Yes. Um, yes. yes. <laughs> um, it's a really short um, poem that I wrote um, in August 2019, 
And um, I'll read that. It's a couple of lines, but I think it might be fitting. Um, It's called A New Leaf. All the sadness in the world grips us when we least expect it, holding on to forgotten dreams, determined to fly to brighter shores. Let me wake up in the land of lullabies, shelve these nightmares until morning, when the sun wipes my slate clean. Mm. And so I... I, I, I <laughs> thank you. I'll thank you. <laughs> and I believe mm. Lucinda wanted to read a poem and also talk about the um, Poetry Matters Project. Okay. Uh, well, thank you, Kim. Thank you, Kim and Wanda, again, for allowing us to um, have this uh, airtime. I know that there are many poets who are on the line, and so uh, I, too, am going to share the, a poem that I wrote um, from, and uh, it's, it's found in the View from the Middle of the Road series that uh, we publish. Um, we are excited about the Poetry Matters Project Challenge, which Kim is also helping us kick off. And so that I don't run into the time for the next reader, I'm going to go ahead and share Mantra of a Bridge Builder. And uh, thank you once again, uh, Wanda, for doing this. Mantra of a Bridge Builder. I am a bridge builder. I build based upon where I travel. I build on happy days and sad days. I have built during times I felt I could not and possibly should not go on. My bridge building is based on following a road, a dominant thought, changes in my world view. Added to each build structure, each bridge's structure, are things I have seen, things I have heard, things I have read, ideas I have opened and closed my eyes, heart, and mind to. The length and strength of some of these bridges are undetermined, and much too far away for my mind's eye to reach. Only the passage of time will determine. Each bridge's purpose is to open new gateways, pathways, and give opportunity to those of whom are and are not like me, to enrich all just by having come this way. Maybe, just maybe, when my bridge building days are done, What has been built, even as I lapse into dust, lives on. I thank you again. I I thank you again for the opportunity. I know that we will um, speak again. And as Kim said, there are some outstanding um, poets who are going to participate today. But um, Mm. you can shout us out, hashtag Poetry Matters Project. You can uh, okay, uh, just you. Google us at Poetry Matters Project, and we look forward to hearing your work. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and and I was wondering, um, do you want to tell us before um, we have um, our next poets, um, Shaquana uh, Shrugs and, and Tony Quest, join us? Um, would you like to tell us what the challenge is? Uh, yes, um, we are asking. Um, <laughs> Actually, I had written a poem about that, but I'm going to keep it short. Or, or could I just share it in the poetic form I wrote it? It's sure. Quick. Um, poets are mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, kin. Poets are the people who share their observations of the world, dive deep within or not. 
Poets are actors, dancers, golfers, teachers, singers, and politicians. Poets make us laugh, love, pray, weep, think, and remember. Today, we present a challenge. Share a poem. It does not matter if you wrote it. Now is a great time to give a poet their shout-out. Record it in any way your technology skills allow, then share it. Now pick someone to do the same. Send it to us at hashtag Poetry Matters Project or uh, Poetry Matters Project at gmail.com. Or you can upload it to your own uh, device and then just um, hashtag it to us and Google us at Poetry Matters Project. We double dare you. I love oh, that. Thank Double you. dare you. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Okay. So, um, do you want uh, Kim? Do you want to introduce um, our next poet? Oh, um, I, I believe um, I believe our next poet, and I want to make sure I have the name uh, the name correct. Um, it's hold on just a sec. Shaquanda. Shaquana. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Shaquana, right? Yeah. Uh, she's a professional tutor at is it Guilford College? Uh, Shaquana, mm-hmm. did I get that correct? Yes, that's correct. Great. What poem are you going to read where? today? And Guilford College. Um, uh, Guilford College is in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a private oh. uh, private school there. Okay. Beautiful. Today I will be reading Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. Classic. Beautiful. (laughs) Okay. Um, This is, again, Still I Rise by Maya Angelou. You may write me down in history with your bitter twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. Does my sassiness upset you? Why are you beset with gloom? Because I walk walk like I've got oil wells pumping in my living room. Just like moons and like suns, with the certainty of tides, just like hopes springing high, still I'll rise. Did you want to see me broken, bowed head and lowered eyes, shoulders falling down like teardrops, weakened by my soulful cries? Does my haughtiness offend you? Don't you take it awful hard. Because I laugh like I've got gold mines digging in my own backyard. You may shoot me with your words. You may cut me with your eyes. You may kill me with your hatefulness. But still, like air, I'll rise. Does my sexiness upset you? 
does it come as a surprise that I dance like I've got diamonds at the meeting of my thighs? Out of the huts of history's shame, I rise. Up from a past that's rooted in pain, I rise. I'm a black ocean, leaping and wide. Welling and swelling, I bear in the tide. Leaving behind nights of terror and fear, I rise. Into a daybreak that's wondrously clear, I rise. Bringing the gifts that my ancestors gave, I am the dream and the hope of the slave. I rise, I rise, I rise. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Shaquana. Very nice. Yes, thank you. Um, very, very nice. I was wondering if if you're not sharing your poem, if you could mute your um, your your mics on your phones, um, or mute sure. your phones, I should say, because we um, we can hear movement, and and this is live, and there is no editing, and so we want we want the uh, the archive product to be really nice. <laughs> um, so anyway, thanks. Um, our next guest is uh, Tony Quest. Um, one of the artists selected to participate in the James Brown Visual Soul Exhibition in Augusta, Georgia. And her portraits were exhibited in the May 2006 exhibition and celebration. So welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me. I'm really appreciative to be here. I think it's so amazing that we can be connected during this time when we're in isolation. It's such a, a strange irony, but I'm, I'll take it. Thank you. Um, I have a poem that I wrote um, actually this month in response to um, this, this, I guess, inflicted isolation that many of us are going through. You know, um, it's interesting that life still goes on and things happen on the cusp of an event. And this poem is called, is titled Don't Touch. And it speaks to the fact that we're social distancing. Thanks for coming over to me, and you're quite a handsome man. Romantic eyes that smile for miles, like moonlight on silver. Yes, I did quiver at your lack of hesitation. Let's have coffee, you smiled. Surely, yes, I'd like that a bunch. I batted my lashes. But then, in a flash, like shattering glass, don't touch. No, no, no. Please don't touch. Like a punch in the gut. Don't touch. If you really care, please give room to spare. Six feet apart. So hard to bear. Your breathless stare. Much too much. Oh, please don't touch. It's so unfair. But if you care, don't touch. Cruel rule. Let's keep our cool. We will touch again someday. But until then, I'll say it again. Because I care, my dear. Don't touch. That was beautiful, Tony. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, very thank beautiful. Thank you for having me, letting me read it. It's no, um, it's tough uh, being isolated when you're like a very social person. And right. uh, you do meet people along the way. But you try to find like the glimmer of light in all of this. And um, yeah, if you really care, don't touch. That's the reality we're living in. I agree. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, and, and also, I, if anyone might not know, but Tony is a brilliant artist. And so um, if, if you. you want, Tony, please, um, we, we want to put, an, uh, we'll get your, your URL up so that people can see just some of the incredible work that you're doing. It's just oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. Yeah, I my website's on Screaming Woman, ScreamingWoman.com. I have a lot of artwork there, and I also have another um, website that's titled EnergyStoners.com. So I, you know, if you want to reach out, you can email me through either one of those, or more, more appropriately, um, you can email me at TonyQuestTV at gmail.com. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank Take you. I believe our next guest is Sam. Are you online? Yes. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you well. Um, Sam, why don't you tell us about yourself and let us know what um, poem you're going to read? Sure. Um, my full name is Sam Louie. I am a first-generation Asian-American Um, who now lives in Hong Kong. I mean, not Hong Kong. I grew up in Hong Kong for a brief time, and then I came to South Seattle when I was fairly young. And um, I am now working as a psychotherapist where I specialize a lot in multicultural issues and trauma. And um, my poem is titled A History of Complicity, that I wrote within the past week or so in response to all of the um, Asian American xenophobia that I've been seeing and hearing about and just the concerns uh, that I have myself as an Asian American in in these times. So a history of complicity. I'm diseased, uncouth, the enemy. But have you looked in the mirror or deeper in your psyche Below the surface, unconscious bias, hatred, prejudices. Why? All because of outlandish stereotypes, caricatures, and lies. My reality denied to ease your guilt, your shame, your history of complicity in fostering racial hostility. Native Americans turned into Indians, seen as mascots for your, for your entertainment. Blacks enslaved and once considered just three-fifths human. Families raped, separated. Generations later, communities segregated. Wiped clean from your conscience. Out of sight, out of mind. Great Scott, you declare, it's their problem. Separate but equal. No, that's not fair. And it's Dred Scott, to be clear, whom you denied freedom to, to one and to all. Fast forward to now, like Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, whitewashing history to avoid your original sin. White flight, urban decay, 
joblessness. It's a facade to think race has nothing to do with this. White privilege, an invisible shield to deflect any notion white skin plays a role amidst all the commotion. White fragility, also a weapon. You use tears, dejection, shame, as well as misdirection to obscure and to blame. You fail to take ownership of how this perpetuates inequality. The game of life, disguised as a field of dreams. But go ahead, spin the wheel. Take two steps forward if you're white. Everyone else, go to the back. Oh, the horror of it all, to bring light to darkness, to focus not on black but on white, so you can hopefully see you are not innocent, you are not scot-free. History repeating itself, not with explicit slavery, but with subtlety, suspicion, and once again, white fragility. Sandwiched between slavery and civil rights, Asians come to America, seen as a race that won't fight. Instead, we're the easy scapegoat, the laughing stock, the punching bag for today's ills, the perpetual foreigner, the stranger, the ones viewed with the virus, the carriers, infecting and killing. But not once have you considered what's your part in all this. Like a virus, you spread the fear, the vitriol, the hate. It's you who control the messages, the media, the movies that disseminate racial divide, statistics that lie, names, narratives, and stories that hide the social, educational, political institutions that keep our country confused, conflicted, in a system of invisible racism that should be considered illegal and illicit, but only if you own up to it and see how you're still, to this day, ultimately complicit. Absolutely brilliant. That was How long did that take you to, to write, um, Sam? Uh, how long <laughs> you did know, it take you once to write? in a while, lightning uh, strikes in a bottle, and this one, I couldn't sleep one night um, as a response to, I think, uh, President Trump's insistence on calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus. And I just right. kept tossing and turning, and I don't have a cell phone right next to me that's turned off, but I have a note section, so whenever I have a thought or an idea, I start uh, writing things down, and I would say all of it came in a matter of like an hour or two. Wow. I know. It, it's just one of those rare things that I rarely get a poem that I write that instantaneously in, in my, since I started writing poem within the past, I don't know, five or six years. I've only had right. two other poems that came to me like this. I, I think it's the poem should be written, not, excuse me, should be read in schools. I think it might help. Uh, I wish, really, so that's part yeah. of my work is not only as a therapist, but to do outreach in terms of uh, racial reconciliation and workshops on this in this area. But, you know, once again, when I talk about invisible racism, I'm talking about systemic racism, not necessarily overt, but who controls the structures. If we have a primarily white um, structural system that they have to invite me in, they have to say this is not um, going to intimidate them, that this is something that they want to honor, then the door is open. Yeah. Well, I, I... I wish the doors would open wider, and I would love it if people actually took poems of that nature into the schools. Because, you know, 
I, I agree with you to some extent, but I also think of people at, at, during the um, civil rights movement um, when Martin Luther King wrote the letter from a Birmingham jail, mm. and it was like, we don't have the luxury now. I really think what you've written about, we really have to educate people. The racism that has gone on for so long, it, it has we have to educate people that it, it, this is wrong. It can no longer mm-hmm. stay. But, but the poem you wrote, I think, is the beginnings of at least it, it can be used as outreach for change. Well, I appreciate that, Dr. Kim. I think I will, based on your encouragement, continue to do uh, outreach. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things that's very hit and miss. <laughs> yeah. Because you have well, to have a fairly uh, open-minded school, because I use terms like white fragility and so on and so yeah. forth that some people <laughs> yes. would feel very uncomfortable um, hearing. <laughs> I agree with you, but I will tell you one thing. When I teach this summer, that will be one of the first poems on my list that I will be giving the oh, students. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it means I, I think it's that important. Well, I appreciate it. I, I feel like that's part of the reason why I wrote it. Initially, I thought it was just going to be, it started off in my head as just an Asian-American issue. And then I was like, you know, I have to talk about the systemic racism that lies underneath a lot of this that people don't recognize. And I wanted to bring in, um, obviously, the African-American experience, but also the Native Americans that raises the original uh, heirs to this country. Like, how do I make it in a way that is not separated? Oh, this is an African-American poem, or this is a Native American poem, or this is an Asian-American. But don't tie in how we're all together in this and we all play a role um, in either supporting or confronting the structures that, um, whether we know it or not, either overtly or covertly, keep so many of these systems in place. Oh, I agree. We have to move on because we're going to do a short piece on Gwendolyn Brooks. But I want to thank you so much. Thank you so much. much. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Sam. It was really lovely. Well, Kim, we are now stepping on um, Sonia's toes, and so um, so I can't do the poem right now. We're going to just keep on moving, and hopefully there might be another space. Um, so, Sonia Gutierrez, you um, are a professor at Palomar College and the author of Spider Woman, La Mujer Arana. Sounds wonderful. What are you going to be sharing with us today? Hi, Wanda. How are you? I'm good. Great. And then um, Dr. Kim McMillan, thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, please. Kim, please. Yes, okay. So so I was looking through my poetry, (laughs) and I have the Spider-Woman collection, and then the um, this one was supposed to be called Legacy Herencia, but the more I thought about it, I thought of uh, Pajaros de Papel. In English, it means paper birds. So this one comes from the paper birds, and obviously with this experience that we're living, then you have new insight on, you know, your life and the medicine that your family passed down to you. So I come from the sacred system, and we believe that we are connected to um, to the plant life, to animal life, to earth, uh, and 
I returned to this and actually retitled it. So I'm going to be reading to you um, The Medicine Garden. In the garden, when the heaviness weighs pavement low, only the winds can lift these fingers to touch the green guava leaves. The earth's dirt calls these dormant green hands to uproot crabgrass, to pluck dry leaves, and to water earthen pots. Because here, there is no place for folk to move around with the screaming emoji face. Oh, no. Fifty feet away, Miss Rake, leaning against the wall, hollers. These trees, branches, need shaking. Let it rain, that desert brown and yellow all around. Rake. And she's right. Because if bodies dwaddle around aimlessly in the garden... Weed vines will take over the dancing dwarf orange tree and the guava tree's white blossoms. And the kind crows will most certainly peck and eat this year's purple and green delight hanging from the large leaf fig tree's branches. In the medicine garden, birds are singing from afar where Miss Ruby Red geraniums dry petals peer through the fleshy rose succulents. Her chapped lips await the copper watering can's heavy drizzle, making her roots dance with delight. But before these hands tend the medicine garden, I reach for Tata's son who keeps us warm and Nana Moon who grows light in her womb. There is a brightness in all the flowers where I'm intertwined. This I know for certain when I, my eyes meet Mr. Fern in need of a trim. And before I can get my hands through his fronds, I make sure I, smi- I smother myself with rosemary, burn leaves, and I am reminded everything will be just fine because the medicine garden does not begin with me. Its seeds were passed down to me, keeper of the earth. Mm. And that's the poem. Lovely. It's absolutely great. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I I apologize to you. What I wanted to find out, I love what you said about the idea of the nature of, of connected, how connected you are with the earth and the land. And I think that's so important because you see that in so many cultures. And mm-hmm. I just wondered, how, how strongly has that affected your writing? I would say that for me, because I'm a poet that, um, that learned my, my craft, it just came to me naturally. I didn't take any creative writing classes. So I would have to, I look in retrospect and I, and I think that my parents created such an important um, foundation for me. As far as um, the themes that I write about, my interests, um, they were very um, ethical people, you know, people with, with values, and, and they were rooted in um, pre-Columbian heritage. That's what I can recognize now. So, yes. um, so this, is, this, is, this is very important to me because my mother was a person who suffered from arthritis. Um, she had cancer. Um, she had so many ailments that I would see in her. I would see in her that drive to um, to connect with the earth, 
we know now that that dirt, that the earth is antibacterial. Um, this poem used to be called The Garden of Dreams. And as I was reflecting for your show, Wanda, um, I was thinking, okay, what, are, what is it in these times that we are isolated? What is it that we have to remember? We have to connect at the human level. That is what we're doing right here. We have to connect with the earth and, you know, buy yourself a little pot, a little plant. And that, um, for us, is healing. That was important for my parents, and it's important for me. It's what I teach at the University, um, California State University, San Marcos, to my students, um, the sacred system. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. And, and once again, I, I appreciate what you're doing. And, and I want you to just give a shout-out. If you haven't read um, Sonia Guterres' work, please do. It is magnificent. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. All you have, all, uh, all have to, uh, people just have to Google Sonia Guterres' poet, and then poems will show up. Great. <laughs> and my dream, yeah. Yes, my dream is to publish um, my novel, Dreaming with Mariposas. Mariposas means butterflies. And I know the next person needs to continue. Mm. It was a pleasure this to be nice. with you, both Wanda yeah. and Dr. Oh, thank you so much, Sonia. Um, stay in touch. Thank you. Bye. Kim Shuck, are you in the house? I am indeed. Hello. It's been too long, Oh, my lady. gosh. Kim, Hi, Kim. So nice. oh, Hi, wow. Kim. This is so awesome. Yeah, Kim Shuck is the seventh and current Poet Laureate of San Francisco, her latest book, Dear Trails, won the 2019 Golden Poppy for Poetry. All that alliteration, yeah. right? <laughs> Her chapbook, <laughs> Pooh's yeah, Water. Make that easy, did they? Pooh's <laughs> <laughs> Water from Mammoth Publications uh, and MammothPublications.net is where you can get it. She'll be out as of two days ago. So, and congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, How's everybody doing? You guys well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. well. What yes, about you? Yes, thank you. I'm I'm pretty well. It's it's been interesting um writing out the window poems <laughs> as opposed to out in it poems. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a mm-hmm. series of those every day and I thought I'd share a couple with you. Beautiful, um, lovely. Uh this was number twelve. Um, smooth shore pebbles have experience all of that tumbling giggling surf the breaker lace and the confusion of storm from the roof I can see the same rain that I can see from the bedroom window and the two way balance across a board over the stairwell to get there as of yesterday we exist a little less they're dismantling the reservation the people of the first light taken out of trust a time of faith diminishing This well-polished song, a thing we have practiced, we get out our leg rattles and we sing. So since we've been in quarantine here in San Francisco, the government has decided to dismantle the Wampanoag Reservation on the East Coast. You know, because we're distracted legitimately by something else, and so they don't think they're going to get much pushback. Very yes, very. It's 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 outrageous. I I think we need to do something about it. 
writing our Congress people, but, but do you have any suggestions on things we could do? Because it is There's, to read about that yeah. is painful. It is. It's horrible. And I don't know if people know, but the Wampanoag are one of the recognized tribes with the highest population of African American um, lineage uh-huh. as well. So I think they think that they can flip this through. There's a petition going around right now, um, hmm. which I can send you, and signing that as the current thing. But um, okay. we're kind of waiting for the Wampanoag to make a suggestion about what they would like done. Uh, but I think communicating with with your Congress people is definitely one to take. Yeah, where where do they live? Um, they're they're the this is the Mashpee, so they're the ones with the um, I think they're like near Nantucket. I'm oh sure. yeah, I think yeah, that's where they are. right, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been there, but I'm having a brain fog. <laughs> no, I I've read about them. They, there was a movie. Uh we we we're yeah. still here or yeah. 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 I, I used to show that um, in my class because that's they actually um the language they showed that language doesn't die. And so there was a woman who like brought the language back, you know, um through her children. Um, like yeah. one of her children sort of was the dedicated person to speak the language. And so they had all the elders teaching her the words. And so then other people um, ended up, you know, becoming more um, fluent in, in, the, in the, uh, the native language. Oh, yeah. Wow. They took so yeah. where Wow. I mean, we're sort of like moving into other people's time. But where, where does a person go when they take your land? Uh, well, what they do is um, they, um, instead of having it held in trust as a tribal mm-hmm. entity, they parcel it out. And what they've generally done is they parcel it out and then they take some. That's traditionally what happens in the U.S. So mm-hmm. ah. that's what it is. So, you know, so they, hmm. I, I wow. think this is connected to the president um, of, of, oh, of yeah. one of his interests. Something that is yep. in his self-interest, and I and I think it has to do with the gambling. Is it the casino or there's the, the, a casino, the, and it doesn't feel like an accident, does it? It feels like one of his little business projects. Yeah, yeah. Well, hmm. we we need to put something out about this, and we will. We will. We will at yeah. least let give people information so that they can call mm-hmm. their Congress people. Yeah. You know? I should probably, you've got Paul on next, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I should probably yeah. let you go. But yes. thank you yeah. for having Paul, me you sometime soon, huh? Yes, yes ma'am. Yes. Great poem, Kim. Thank you. Thank you, babe. Yeah. See you soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much, Kim. We have to have you on again. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- this so, is Kim, Paul, you want to introduce Paul? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. This is Paul Corman Roberts, and um, I met him through Kim. He's just an incredible poet, and he has a uh, collection of poems called Bone Moon Palace. It's forthcoming from Nomadic Press in the fall of 2020. Mm. He's an original yeah. co-founder of Oakland's Be- Beast Craw Literary Festival also. Are, are, is, the, mm. is the festival still going to be happening, um, Paul? You know, I think if um, if we can if we can get back on our feet and <clears throat> meeting in 
having having the community meet each other face to face at the time that they say if that can happen between mid-May and early June I think we can get the festival off the ground this year we're not <clears throat> we'd originally hoped to do it in late the last weekend of July and I think that's probably out now but um we have I think we could still launch it in September and I would if we can get back to meeting each other I think we can get it back to getting it in September that is my hope and prayer at this point beautiful beautiful Oh, so now, what are you going to be reading tonight? I mean, excuse me, today, Paul. Um, um, this is a this is a thought you might be familiar with it. It's what I've been writing since the shelter in place has gone into place. This is the first part. This is the first portion of a larger poem um, called uh, "The New Abnormal," and uh, this this well, yes. I'm going to read part one of that here. Uh, if, if you're ready for that, definitely. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, the new abnormal. As we wake each morning with a naked emperor pushing an absurdist gas lamp in front of our faces, our sainted princess, Corona, the wreath, the ring, the circle, the crown, a teenage saint, spins in her gyre, her legacy eddying into the surrounding micro-harbors, outrageous rumors, shocking accusations, none greater or more resolute or appealing than that which states that this storm was initiated by a conspiracy of domesticated canines who wish only to spend more time with their families so we could get to know them better, make more time to cuddle, share more opinions and ideas respectfully and lovingly with their shaggy platforms because they know damn well that this isn't normal. <clears throat> they are okay with that because for them, the old normal wasn't cutting it. And the old normal doesn't like getting cut. But too bad, Jack, because we are still here and are newly reacquainted, newly reconfigured, and newly reimagined families are still here with fuzzy felines and obnoxious canine eyes shoved in front of our faces, tucked under each arm. This bold new love hands over our hearts, curled up on our shoulders, fetus folded in our laps, we set sail now with our eyes, yes, our eyes, upon you, with all the certainty and joy that we are not returning to an old normal that was already broken beyond repair. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, we're not Beautiful. returning to an old normal that was, one that was broken beyond repair. I love that. Well, it's it's it feels that in this time of uh, in this time of shelter in place, in this time of crisis, that we have, that we are very unfamiliar with in this society. You know, it's it's important to remember other societies in our world know very well what it's like to be quarantined. This is not new for other cultures in our world. Uh, it's it's new for it's new for Americans, or at least it's new for U.S. citizens. And a lot of us were feeling uh, this situation has brought to the forefront, I think, a lot of feelings that maybe we were even feeling before this started, that um, that that this system that we live in can no longer sustain itself. And that something something radical and fundamental has got to change. And, and here we are. <laughs> Very so. good point. Very good point. And, and I appreciate your poetry, the very fact that you're you're writing about things that people are thinking and and I think it's helpful very helpful 
And I think it's good if that we know what other people are thinking. That that helps us exercise that empathy muscle that we all need to be exercising. And so we, we all take the time. You know, it's a it might sound cliche if we all took the time to be poets. But real, you know, when we're doing our poetry right, we're putting ourselves and thinking about other people that way, and thinking about yeah. what they're thinking about, and having a hard time saying. Thank you so much. Um, do you no want to give? Do you have a website so people can learn more about your work or a place they could go to? Um, I, you know, I, I, for my own, I don't at the moment, I'm still working on that. Um, but (laughs) they can read, they can learn about the Beast Crawl Festival, which I would love to also, um, promote here and they can go to beastcrawl.weebly.com. Um, and that's, and they can, and they can see, they can see some of the photos and the events and the places that we performed uh, in previous years. There's, there's a, there's an archive and history of the festival's past there. Um, and the method, the notion, the message that we are coming and we, we mean to be back this year. I agree. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank it's you. been an honor to read on this show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Great to have you. Um, so, Kim, we're going to both introduce Michael. Um, Michael, is that you? Are you in the studio? That's me, yeah. yeah. Oh, hi, Michael. Awesome. Uh, how you guys? Hi, Kim. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, yeah, I'm so happy yeah. to have you join us. Um, and, oh, and, you know, Al, vicariously you through you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it's my pleasure. I, I haven't had coffee, so I, I'm happy to even be forming sentences. So, <laughs> it's funny. I just. This is like uh, this is like four in the morning to me now because my sleep schedule is so out of whack, you know, with this mm-hmm. shelter in place thing. It's a trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. Like, it's so funny. I was telling Kim that I looked up and my alarm was going off and I hadn't laid down yet. I'm like, oh, it's time to get up. I haven't gone to bed yet. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Seriously, Seriously I know. Before you yeah. read, Michael, would mm-hmm. you mind giving us just a couple of words about how Al's doing? You know, well, I haven't seen him in three weeks because, uh, you oh, know, because right. visitors have been banned from his care home. Oh, so I yeah. talk to him on the phone, and, you know, he seems to get incrementally a little better, you know, cognitively. Yeah. But I think there's a part of me that's impatient and is hoping always for miracles. And, you know, it's been a year, and I haven't seen a miracle. So I get frustrated, but I have to remember, you know. Um, you know, Michael, the the miracle is that he's here. That I, know. I mean, it's I, true. we we. I talked to him yeah. about a week ago, and I said, "Let's just do a poem together, Al. Let's just yeah. put words together." And I said, "Tell me what you love." And the mm-hmm. first words were jazz and Michael. You're you know, me. and so yeah, oh, so wow. that's what I put jazz Michael. Oh, I love it. And so, so mm-hmm. he's he's still like he's still there. He's yeah, he's still there. <laughs> he's still yeah. there. It, it's heartbreaking though with someone who's just such a master communicator, mm. orator. Yeah. You know, has to be um, snuffed of their you know expressiveness. But he's still there in a lot of ways. I know he's he really still is. there, and yeah. and you know we can still see a miracle. And the fact that you, I asked him to do a poem and he took the time to just talk to me to, and it, it just to bring out words and that, that oh. you're here to give him a voice is so important. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I agree. What are you going to read? What, what I am going to, I am going to read uh, three poems 
the first one is old school, uh, but I've always loved it. It's kind of mysterious, and it's, it's called Geography of the Near Past. Okay. Yeah. Um, should I introduce each poem with a backstory before I read, or should I? No, because we only have about five minutes. Okay. And so, well, um, no, we're going to make an exception for Al. (laughs) Oh, okay. We're making it. No, it's fine. No, I don't think it'll take much longer than that at all. It's it's, uh, (laughs) okay. Great. So this is from the mid '70s. It's called. uh, It's a self-titled poem from. his book, Geography of the Near Past. Uh, Okay. Geography of the Near Past. The trick, without anyone's catching on to it, is to swim against world current, knowing it to be as much a dream as it is drama on the highest stage, but without losing touch with spirit or with light. Realer even is to move as if nothing has ever happened, which is likewise as true as foam or fog. Each universe is only an ever-shifting sea in the surfacing eyes of former fish. And that was Geography of the Near Past. Mm. I just love its kind of um, impressionistic feel. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about about New Orleans and Louisiana and uh-huh. and Al and also thinking about, you know, this is Jazz Heritage Month, April, and so, you know, for the first words to be Jazz and Michael's like, Oh, how perfect. Oh, I love <laughs> it. Yes. Yes. I love it. Yeah. And um Okay, this next one is, you know, when my dad moved from Detroit the first day he came to uh, Berkeley, he called uh, the poet Kenneth, Kenneth Rexroth on a payphone because uh, he really looked up to him. You know, he was this 21-year-old you know, skinny little brother uh, calling this renowned uh, poet, you know, who lived in San Francisco, who was kind of a uh, predecessor even of the Beat Generation. And Kenneth was, was really nice to him on the phone and invited him, invited him over. Um, and they became really tight friends. And, you know, there was a generation gap. They were from different worlds, but, you know, there's a real love between them. So uh, this next poem is called Whatever Becomes of the Living uh, for Kenneth Rexroth in Memoriam. He wrote this right after he passed. Uh, By the sea it was, the Pacific, your eyes glazed with dream and the sonorous Indians of your voice. Part ponderous, part invention, you blinked and looked hard at me the first and second time we met at Asilomar, then at Santa Cruz, each setting the perfect location for a moving star like you, like the Santa Barbara that saw you slip away into the blue of another home. What happens? Whatever becomes of the living, your voice still graces unaccountable passages of my rights en route to poethood. I have as much right to look on you as teacher as anyone raising themselves in the razor winds of my catch-all stormy era. But there is no sound sharp enough to cut through the water and the thunder of you flashing in your own shrewd role as sole publicist, as worldly Hoosier booster of the spirit feel for Kenneth Rexroth. And that one's always moved me because uh, it's almost like he was passing, you know, a, 
a, a soul torch to my dad. Yes. You know, he, he yeah. got to see him before he died, too. And yeah. Nice. It's beautiful. Isn't Absolutely. it? I know. So and I've forgotten that did. one. It's in his collection called Heaven, which I must get back in print because uh, it's an anthology oh, of some good. of his best work. Yeah. Oh, and this next yeah. one just stoned me to the bone. Um, hmm. You know, I actually got to see it's actually um, in, engraved uh, in Berkeley in front of um, uh, the, the Freight and Salvage, that folk and blues club. Uh, yeah. It's like on this little Berkeley Walk of Fame that my dad is on. So you can actually read this read this poem on the sidewalk, uh, and it's called "Who I Am in Twilight." Okay, like John Lee Hooker, like Lightning Hopkins, like the blues himself, the trickster sonnet, hoedown, the tango, the cante hondo, like blessed spirituals and ragas custom made like sagas, like stories, like slick, slow, sly soliloquies sliding into dramas, like crime and punishment, like death and birth, Canal Street, New Orleans, like the easy, erasable, troubled voices a whirling ceiling fan makes in deep summer nights in hot, unheavenly hotels. Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, like the Mississippi River, so deep and wide you couldn't get a letter to the other side like grand canyon like yosemite national park like beans and cornbread like rest and recreation like love and like i know we last i know our bleeding stops who i am in twilight Mm. wonderful yeah that was some real nice work, Michael. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I really, yeah. And he's here, you know. His consciousness has shifted, but he's still, he's still here. Yeah, yeah. He's here. Observing. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Wow, so beautiful. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. My pleasure. All right. Okay. So let us know when you get Heaven back in print. Yes. I will. Definitely. I will. Many of his other works, too. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, certainly. Bye. You take good care. You too. Thank you. Thank you both. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank I just want to mention Adam David Miller because um, he was a part of the, um, I think, Berkeley Arts Council um, that was responsible for having the Poetic Walk of Fame. Um, yeah. On um, is it Austin Way or Addison? I'm trying to think. What's the street where? Um, I, I'm I'm not our, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, well, the um, Freight and Salvage is there, and um, and the um, that might be Addison. Is it Addison? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really great. Just looking down, it's like, oh my goodness, all this great poetry. Yeah. Wow. This is so nice. So. Um, uh, our next guest um, is John Curl. Hey, John, good to have you on two Hi, weeks John. in a row. Good morning. Good How, morning. How is everybody there? <laughs> Great, John. Good. Great. Well, I've got a couple okay. poems for you here. Okie doke. You ready? Start in. Yep. We're ready. What's wrong with this country? <laughs> Open up again. 
You who've been so hurt, trust, take the risk of being hurt again. Truth is painful, but when it doesn't kill you, it's healing. The many sordid traumas she keeps still hidden deep in her psyche beneath so many layers of misplaced shame, the whispered lies, the secret betrayals, abuses to her flesh, her spirit, her air, her water, her seagulls, her grass, her rocks, her trees, her wind, her soul. Only the forsaken can understand it. You've been there, haven't you? I know you have. I can feel it in your bones her pain, you recognize her anguish as your own, that bitterness in her smile, that grief in her eyes. Only the betrayed can see it. Only the forlorn can feel it. Why me? I didn't deserve this, a false friend, a wounded lover, abandoned, denying the obvious. She shrank into her fists, swore she'd never forget, Never leave herself so vulnerable, so innocent, so open, so unconditional. Swore she'd never love, ever, never again. Try to run. You can't run. Try to hide. You can't hide. You can't run. You can't hide from a crushed spirit. America is grieving. America is suffering from a broken heart. Who broke it? So many times in such cruel ways. How do you heal a country? How do you heal a country with a broken heart? Wow. And my other poem yeah. is called Shelter so in how, Place. Was that, um, was that rhetoric or rhetorical, or do you have an answer? How do you heal a country with a broken heart? You got any answers? Well, the answer actually is in the first... My answer is in the first uh, the first stanza of the poem. It, gives, it starts out with the answer, which is okay. uh, open up and again, open up again. You who've been so hurt, trust. Take the risk of being hurt again. Truth is painful, but when it doesn't kill you, it's healing. Yes, that's how the poem starts. So it kind of the poem mm-hmm. goes around in a circle. It comes back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. So then, uh, this poem is called "Shelter in Place." If the entire economy collapses, are they going to throw us all out on the street? As we plunge into the blind storm, desperation lurking in every shadow, the unknown sweeping away every high water and low water mark, the old casino house rules, now dim false memories, relentless bills piling up and up, tornadoes roiling every dark cloud, Cataclysmic change swirling among the reckless, wise women of the craft, the unthinkable becoming common sense. All too soon, tens of millions of us may not be able to pay our rent or mortgage or afford to feed our kids. We're not just helpless victims of a housing heartless system. We can't escape to outer space. If your rent's overdue, but you still can't pay, shelter in place. If your mortgage banker threatens, shelter in place. If you shout at City Hall, but they won't listen at all. If the sheriff's a disgrace and the police get in your face, tell your neighbors, blow the conch shell, sound the call. 
Defend our earthly home from the banker catacombs. Don't submit. Don't be compliant. Don't obey. Unite. Defiant. If your credit's overdrawn, shelter in place. If an agent's banging on your door, shelter in place. If you have no place to stay and the next check's far away, move into an empty building, shelter in place. If your bank account's malignant, if your mortgage is delinquent, ignite the housing justice lights. If they're coming to evict you, don't surrender, get indignant. A home to live in is a human right. Shelter in place. I love it, John. Yeah, that's great. Rally yeah. cry. Right. You mean you, some broadsides would be really great of that 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 poem we could put in our window. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. I think we we all need poetry in these dark, these these dismal times, these very dangerous times. So poetry uh, can mm-hmm. serve a role that uh, it's served throughout throughout human history. It's uh, uh, you know, poets who need it more than ever. Right. Thank Definitely. you, John. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You. That was lovely. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm Kim? so appreciative. Uh, yes. Yeah. I was wondering, you, um, uh, Dr. Marianne Robinson, are you in the studio? Right. Is she here? Well, um, she might not be here. She's a doctorate in Atlanta, Georgia. And okay. oh, did she come? Let's. How about if we take this time then to read um, uh, Gwendolyn Brooks, and I will see. Oh, I will see. I'll talk to. Um, to a few people to see if I can get a hold of her. Okay. All, all, right. all right. No. Okay. No problem. Um, <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> wasn't quite ready. Let's see. Um, we were talking about Dr. King and dedicating um, this show to his legacy and his memory, and uh, and I was um, looking for some poetry that. Um, he inspired and um and you heard the poem by um that I shared that Sonia Sanchez wrote. She wrote a couple of poems. One, uh, Sweet Honey in the Rock, uh set to music and, and we're gonna actually um play that at the end of the show and I think our next guest is in the studio. But since I started I guess I'll finish what I'm saying. <laughs> so so when I was looking I found this really wonderful um uh, essay article with some beautiful art called Five Poems by Five Black Poets that Honor the King for Real. And uh, and it's on a, a blog called Black Stew. Just love that, Black Stew. And Nadia Alexis is um, is the uh, is the writer um, uh, for that particular blog. And, and so she was talking about in, in this particular piece how um, Dr. King was really closely connected to, to poetry. He actually inspired others to write poetry while he was alive, and he was inspired by poetry. And she talked specifically about the relationship between um, Langston Hughes and uh, and uh, Dr. King. And Dr. King actually <laughs> would use Langston Hughes' poetry in some of his, his sermons, which is kind of cool. Um, you probably know that Dr. King was born January 15, 1929, and he was killed um, April 4, 1968, and he would have been 39, um, but 
he was killed before um, he made 40. And uh, and so tomorrow is the anniversary of his being shot in, um, you know, as he stood on the balcony um, in uh, Memphis right before um, the uh, the strike that he was going to be marching in with the um, uh, the sanitation workers there to get a, a better decent wage and, and better conditions for working conditions. So anyway, um, she says in this this piece that. Um, that Hughes' influence on King was so found that traces of his poetry have been identified in some of Dr. King's most important speeches. Some poignant examples are King referring to himself as the victim of deferred dreams in a Christmas sermon for peace, uh, and affirming life for none of us has been a crystal stare at Montgomery, Alabama's Holt Street Baptist Church, November 1956. Um, both derived from Hughes' poems, Harlem and Mother the Son. And uh, and says she writes the relationship between art and politics is well documented, but it's meaningful to consider Dr. King's relationship to Hughes as an embodiment of that natural manifestation. And so the two poems I want to share one is by Gwendolyn Brooks, who um, you know was the uh, uh, the poet laureate for for Chicago, and and she is she is simply phenomenal. Love her work. And so she writes. In her poem, and I'm going to go to that website so I can find it, make it easier to read it. Um, she writes, Martin Luther King, Jr., a man went forth with gifts. He was a prose poem. He was a tragic grace. He was a warm music. He tried to heal the vivid volcanoes. His ashes are reading the world. His dream still wishes to anoint the barricades of faith and of control. His word still burns the center of the sun above the thousands and the hundred thousands. The word was justice. It was spoken. So it shall be spoken. So it shall be done. And that's Gwendolyn Brooks. And again, he was a prose poem. He was a tragic grace. He was a warm music. He tried to heal the vivid volcanoes. His ashes are reading the world. And and then the second poem I want to share is um, There is a Street Named for Martin Luther King, Jr. in Every City. And it's by Hanif Willis Abdul-Rakib. And uh, I think every city, almost every city has a Dr. King street. So here is that poem. If you die on a street... Name for a man who they say will, could have saved you. A man who would have carried you on his back to the promised land, where all of the black people are safe from death, where no one black has a mouth, is what I mean to say, where no one can look up and say and ask where the sun went, while watching the black skin peel back from their hands, until their bodies become something more tolerable that the sky does not hunger for. And it isn't this what and isn't this what every black mother wants? A table full of children who are still alive, who do not speak ill, who do not speak, who do not move, who will never be carried to a burial by the bullet. Are you less of a ghost if you die on a street that was built by your ancestors before it was named for your savior? So that's that poem. 
And I think our next poets are in the studio. Oh, great, great. So, I love so the Kim, poem. why don't you introduce um, our uh, sister doctor? Dr. Miriam. Great. Um, Dr. Miriam Robinson, I'm so glad she's here. But particularly, it's a reminder that the people who are first responders, they need breaks. They need it, it, what they're doing is tremendous. Miriam grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and she also attended um, Agnes Scott College in Decatur, Georgia, where she completed pre-med requirements. She is a poet, a writer. She also is um, a spoken word artist. And I believe, uh, Miriam, um, you also have, you, you perform throughout the, um, the Southeast, am I correct? Uh, yes, ma'am. Great, great. Well, what would you like to perform, oh, excuse me, what would you like to read today? Um, so, thank you for that warm introduction, and um, sorry. Um, so today, I'm going to read a poem um, that I wrote while I was visiting the um, uh, African American History Museum in D.C. Beautiful. Um, and it's called Daughter of Revolutions. Um, so, I'm the daughter of revolutions and enterprise. I'm the intersection of revolt and servitude. I'm the reflection of perseverance and perpetual reluctance to succumb or surrender. I'm the daughter of migrants. Some even traveled willingly, seeking new opportunity, only to find irony of tending land that is not your own in a place you cannot call home. Only two centuries later, find your blood cloaked in pristine clinical white garments, using long, snaking devices to ensure our heartbeats are still in sync. Fighting tooth and nail to live a different life of service, where cotton tips in a bale transform to swabs, clearing the path to find cancerous cells. And we still struggle with centuries of malignant thoughts we did not create but work every day to find the cure for. And this is the tax of what some call success. And I am indebted to you. You were the riches that came in caravans across oceans and over trails. You stood up to thorny fields and leather intertwined between fear and greed. Some call this bravery. Some call this tenacity. Some did not survive. And aren't we the fortunate ones? holding the stories and secrets of a life made to live, strong backs that hold up the world, hands that know every curve of the words resilience, rebellion, and justice. Some call this survival, but I know better. I know that it was divine intervention how you came together from four corners of the earth and strove together, loved each other, and lifted me onto your shoulders to make it to the ladder, to reach the glass ceiling and continue chipping away. As I hold your tools of resilience and my tools to heal, I look into the past and I find all of the hope you had for me to find myself here. Some call it history, but I know better. And tired, it is your hand that lifts my chin, your voice that tells me, now is not when you rest, child. There is still plenty work to do. Thank you. 
I loved it. Uh, I love really how you're, you're so humble. <laughs> this is a brilliant poem, and it speaks to mm-hmm. so much that we've all endured. Uh, I, I'm curious, are, are you are you working, is, because you're a doctor, and in this, in this this time period that we are going through right now, are you okay? Um, so I am in a unique situation. Um, I had to abruptly leave my clinical practice um, to attend to my son who currently lives in Atlanta. I practice in Boston. Uh, when the daycares closed, um, when the first of the coronavirus scare sort of started happening, um, so now I am obviously required to leave uh, him again and go back to work. Um, mm. So uh, kind of not knowing when I'll be able to return yes. to Atlanta uh, is difficult. Um, also, uh, having had to leave my colleagues in such a, you know, terrible place, um, yes. limited resources, people dying, hearing of doctors dying, it's, it's really a terrible situation. So um, it's, it's, a, it's not a nice time, um, but it is, you know, what I signed up for. And, um, you know, with some prayer, I believe we'll get through this just like, you know, everything else. So just uh, taking it one day at a time. Our prayers are with you. What you're going through, salute you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we really appreciate your your service. Mm -hmm. And, And the fact that you came and read a poem of such beauty is, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and taking the time, and thank you, Mrs. Clark, for keeping me involved, even though I'm gone from Augusta. Miss you and the poetry scene there. Well, hopefully we get back to, you know, in the next couple of months, hopefully a, a miracle happens or something that this is not as devastating as it seems right now. Prayerfully so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you yeah. very much, Dr. Robinson. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you take good care. Yes. So, Avacha, are you with us in the studio? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, wow. Hi, Avacha. Good to, good to hear from you, Avacha. How are you? Um, Just like everybody else, stuck in the house, you know, <laughs> reading and writing and, and trying to, you know, compose new music and and hoping this ends soon. Yes. Uh, Vacha, you're doing so many things. You wanted, with regard to writing, and I, you're, you're working on, are you working on a new book of poetry also? I have two books that are ready to go as soon as they can be printed. Wow. Nice, nice. Yeah, they're both over 200 pages. They're both good. I'm very proud of both of them. Excellent. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Looking forward to reading them. Me too. Well, <laughs> for, for for those people who are not lucky enough to to know or hear of Avacha's work, she is what I consider a poetry goddess. Um, right. She writes in English and in Spanish, and has been published in both. She's in numerous anthologies. She's performed with everyone from Betty Carter to. Um, 
to, to Nikki Giovanni, to John Handy. She is a staple of what it is to have excellence in poetry in the Bay Area. Uh, this woman is with her group, Abache and Modupe. She's brilliant. That's the best way I could describe her is absolute brilliance. And you can also hear her, her on, is it Fridays at KPO? Fridays at KPO from noon to 3. And right. uh, and then uh, Tuesday nights at KPFA from 8 to 10. Yes, and please listen. It's, she has extraordinary authors on, and she also reads her own work, which is brilliant. Um, Vacha, what are you going to read for us today? Well, I, I chose a bunch of stuff, but there was a limitation of time. Uh, is it possible to do two short ones, or should I just do one? Whatever you like, whatever you want to do. Okay, well, let me do the the Al Young, uh, my dear friend Al Young. Oh, um, oh nice. And, uh, and uh, it's called My Friend Al, the Blue Bob Curandero. Curandero is a healer. Anyway, <clears throat> Al Young is a whole lot more than a poet. He's a Mississippi mambo, a sweet singing mojo man, our doctor of Blue Bob Curanderismo. Mystic, Al Young is a metaphor-slinging, Detroit-swinging word magician, a jazz-singing poetic healer that puts it down strong enough to let millions of spirits lost in, uh, lost in forgotten cotton fields and abandoned factories find themselves in the proud beauty of his words and unapologetically dance their way indelibly into our history and our hearts. Al Young, an indescribable creative force, is a whole lot more than just a poet. He's my friend. And folks, forgive my voice. I am not a morning person, and so my voice is just yeah. beginning to wake up. <laughs> I think it was wonderful. We love Al, yeah. so anything you would have mm-hmm. said would have been beautiful. I love yeah, him, yeah. too. He's been such a major uh, force in my life, and uh, what can I say? And if he's do you want to read? Oh, huh? Yes. Do you want to read one more of your poems? Because I'd like to hear one of your short poems also. This is a very short one. Uh, at least I think it's short. It's called "I Cry Creativity." It was just released on an album with uh, uh, Eric Jacobson, who uh, commissioned me to write it. Um, I was asleep, secure and comfortably asleep, dreaming of peace and love, hypnotized by a mirage of unity and togetherness, dancing away demons of war and hate, in what I thought was a land of plenty, and what I had been taught was the land of the free. Then I opened my eyes, was slapped in the face by a wide-awake nightmare, a senseless suicidal madness, a world of selfishness, a insatiable gluttony and rampant homelessness created by short-sighted masters of fantasy, so used to dealing from their deck of unfulfillable promises that they can no longer feel anything real. I opened my eyes and found myself sadly looking at those who are empty inside and seem to think they can fill their emptiness with all kinds of pretty things and tons of money and more and more and more and more and more money and the newest, prettier things. And all I could do was cry. Cry for those blindly drunk on greed as I write and smile as another poem is born. A poem about all the beauty the greedy can no longer see. I believe if we artists could only bottle our tears, no one would ever die of thirst. Our tears will become unifying melodies, creative, love-filled, organic, harmonious medicine. And we, an inspiring army of creativity, just might be able to heal the world. 
one note at a time. I love it. I love it. Especially the life of artists. Say what? (laughs) Thank you for your words, your kindness. Yeah, that's really beautiful, Vasha. Wow. Um, How does a person get a copy of the... um, I guess, I don't know, is it a CD with the poem yeah, and the music? CD. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a CD. Uh, it's called um, uh, One Note at a Time. I'm very grateful that the title came from the last line of the poem of the CD by the Eric mm-hmm. Jacobson. It's uh, Jacobson with a K. Eric Jacobson okay. Sextet. And it's got a bunch of really amazing artists on it. So I'm very grateful to that Eric uh, had me do this thing. So Thank you. Oh, nice. Wow. Thank you so much, Abacha. So you're able to broadcast from home? Um, uh, no, I'm not, going, I'm not going in today. I was going to go in today, but I couldn't get hold of the uh, the manager, so I don't even know if the station is open today, but I'm sure it's on the air because if, if you know, anyway, but it's on. So I won't be on today. I'll be there back next week. Okay. We'll be listening. Thank you, Abacha. Thank you, you, yeah. thank well, you for what you're doing. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Bye-bye. Peace. Stay safe. You too. So, Kim, I'm going to let you introduce our our next guest. Um, Because I don't know how to pronounce. No. uh, Is it Giza? Oh, I'm looking at the wrong thing. It's Giza. Giza, are you here? Giza? Oh, maybe that's Giza. Maybe this is Giza. Somebody just called, joined. Maybe this is Giza. Okay. Oh, let's let's see who it is. I feel uh, like is, let's see who the poet is. Yeah, Giza, is that Hello? you? Hi. Is Giza with us? Uh, oh no, somebody else just called. Let's see who that is. Um, Giza, is no, that actually, you? Or, no, it's actually divorced. Oh, okay, okay, he's he's with us. Yeah, we have Giza, and then Allison or Chakwadi. Then we have Michelle, Allison, and then we have. Um, no, Devorah. Well, oh, no, Devorah. Oh, Devorah is after Avacha. Okay. Devorah, are you yeah. with us? Yeah, I am. Okay, well, cool. Well, let's, All right, let's so Devorah and then Giza. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, can you so, hear me? Sam, I'll introduce Devorah. Uh-huh, yeah. I, Great. I, I just, um, Great. Yeah. So, Devorah, um, this is so cool. Two Fridays in a row. Like, you know, we got a thing going on, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> You know, last week, you know, your Queen Califia book of poetry, that was so lovely. Oh, my gosh, that book is awesome. And uh, you uh, served as San Francisco's third poet laureate, um, and you have five poetry books, two novels, four chapbooks, and a host of short stories, essays, and poems, and anthologies and periodicals, and you're always working on other work and conjuring. So what are you going to be sharing with us today? Well, well, I when I turned on the radio, I was I t- I, I turned on the show when uh, Michael was on. Mm-hmm. Can you hear oh. me? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, at the time, something popped up because I was looking for poems on my laptop, which said that, uh, and this broke my heart, that Bill Withers has just passed. <gasps> no, really? Yeah, oh, and I yeah. Cannot- Thank you the number of times his music saved my life. Oh, I just man. Yeah, 81 years old today, this morning. Oh, today's his birthday? Uh, 
No, I, I, today was the day he died. It, oh, it's he a complica- died. Oh. Complications oh. of uh, heart problems or something. Anyway, so I quick looked for a music poem, so I'm going to do Afro-American song because that's what I could find real quickly. Okay. Uh, you know, for him, Afro-American song. Mm-hmm. Listen to the notes, sweet and hard, round and full, dark honeyed lava, jazz melodies, bebop riffs, blues grit, notes braided with roots growing deep inside your soul, colored of ebony and mahogany, sepia tones that will break free. Notes heavy and fierce, singing survival, singing endurance, singing time all around the planet, humming with the stars, punctuating the seasons, round and full, honey and lava, sweet and hard, dark and long, jazz melodies, bebop riffs, blues, grits, rocking, swinging, flying. So for uh, Mr. Withers, who just... uh, Boy, his music, I mean, just everything, you know. Yeah. That was song, beautiful. Grandma's hands, I just I have just so many, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. Lovely day. Are you, are oh, you going to read another me. poem? Huh? Are you going to read another poem? Of yeah, yeah, I wanted to read. This is a short uh, one, USA Fire Alarm. All right, great, great. The house is burning. We can smell its smoke. Sparks singe the curtains. Our eyes water as growing fires sizzle at our front and back doors. On the top floor, some of the residents are in a thick fog sleep. In the darkened basement, others are trapped. Straight-backed and frightened, I sit in the living room. I am not alone. The house is burning. The arsonists say they will rebuild the frame with our bones, glue together ashes for the walls. They have no need to replace the windows. I have a bucket of water at my feet. Where should I throw it? Mm. I love it. I I just love it. And I love how you read also. There's an urgency that that is in the poem that you conveyed to us, and I I thought that was brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, I was trying to to absolutely, uh, you know, that it is, um, you know, something we need to yeah. attend to now. Yeah. It, 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 you know, not just the virus. <laughs> you know, the yeah. virus will pass, but the house will still be burning. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Thank so you, Devore. You're yes. very welcome. Oh, and uh, I also want everyone to know that we mentioned that not only are you the third poet laureate of San Francisco, but your book of poetry, Califia's Daughter, will be out on June 15th, I believe. Yes, um, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. So please pick, the, pick it up online because social distancing, but read this book. It's that brilliant. Thank you very much, Devorah. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Dora. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Uh, yes. Geza, are you here? Yes, I am. Uh, no. Could you pronounce your – I don't want to embarrass myself by pronouncing your last name incorrectly. Could you pronounce it for us, please? Yes, it's a Hungarian name, very difficult. Geza Patrodia is um, the name. It's beautiful. You, you ha- your history is so impressive, a Rhodes Scholar, 
attending Oxford University, um, and also uh, representing Canada in the Olympics as a fencer in 1976. I feel like saying, what have you not done, Gesa? <laughs> you know, it's brilliant. <laughs> well, thank um, you. What poems would you like to read? Well, I, um, my poems are, are, are very short, uh, and I would like to start oh, out with okay. maybe a couple of poems sure. from a, a novel that Lucinda was kind enough to publish, uh, or not a novel, a poetry collection that Lucinda published, Extinction. Sure. And uh, then I might read one from a uh, new uh, collection that I just read, Extinction Rebellion. It's uh, um, a follow-on from Extinction, and then maybe one from a chapbook uh, I'm working on, Poems for a Pandemic, uh, uh, but anyway, see, the extinction poems are all, all uh, are very relevant now because Earth Day yeah. falls into this month, as we all know. So I thought I'd start out with one called Witching Hour. Is this the witching hour, the turning point, when the simmering seas boil, spill across the cauldron's brim to flood this verdant earth? Corpses of frogs and fish, seals and birds, our detritus, plastics and rotting hulls to wash up with the silt to bury my feet. Is this the witching hour, the turning point, when wildfires spread raging across the land and consume forests and fields, roads and towns, killing with burning heat and acrid smoke all life they find in homes or barns or nests, or frantically mm. fleeing fated end? Is this the witching hour, the turning point? We know damn well it is, but do nothing. We continue our hedonistic lives, complicit in destroying our one earth. Very relevant and very, it's, it's painful to hear this, to, to know that we are in, in some ways destroying our home. And it's a really good reminder. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what What were you planning to read next? Now, it, 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 it's another uh, similarly themed poem. Oh, great! The one that Excellent. gives the the uh, collection uh, its its title, and it's called Extinction. Therefore, great. I I can picture the mighty mastodon, the towering ivoried hairy beast that ruled and roamed this primeval earth. The fierce dinosaurs of the Jurassic, those huge, cold-blooded reptilian beasts battling each other for primacy. Through the microscope of my failing mind, in the imagined black hole of creation, I see tiny single-celled organisms, the chemical precursors to all life. I ask, when humankind is no longer, who or what will conceive this strange being the destroyed earth and all life, including itself, as if it had been preordained. Uh, wow, that's all I can say. I, I'm. When you sit down to write these poems, do you have an idea, or do these just come to you? They, they, they mostly just come to me, and then I. Think around with words, and uh, that's how it yeah. comes together. Yeah, it has that that flow, that reaching um, for for life, you know, for change. Um, what, what what what's your 
we have enough time for at least one more poem. Um, um, okay, I, I, um, I, I, I have two short ones. Should I read both of them? Okay, then they're, they're short. Please go ahead and read both then. One, one is from Extinction Rebellion, and it's called Crepuscular Shadows. Mm-hmm. I'll start with that. Crepuscular shadows cavort on the wall, pirouetting on, in a ballet of rocks, choreographed by Emperor Nero, Caligula, and leaders of their ilk, who fiddle as wildfire scorch mother and floods and storms ravage our sustenance. These kings are self-centered and, like Midas, give all to get gold to add to their hordes and pursue perverse, illicit pleasures while drought destroys our crops, our children starve, our trails and roads become raging rivers, and our homes and cities are washed away. What future is there for my grandchildren? What hope is there for human life on earth? And lastly, another short one, if I may, and it's uh, a poem from um, the, the work I'm working on now, a poem for a pandemic, and it's called The Doctor's Dilemma. In an otherworldly stupor, I survey the ICU ward. As the epidemic explodes, COVID-19 exacts its toll. The unwell entombed in their beds, sucking life-sustaining oxygen out of those scarce ventilators. Monitors flashing and ringing, each grim breath to fight to survive until the next or the very last. I dread the coming invasion when I will be forced to play God and decide who gets the machine just freed up as another corpse is wheeled away to the morgue. The diabetic and deaf child, the uncompromised grandfather, or the mother with breast cancer, while I send the rest to the grave. This is not what a doctor does. I am an executioner. Wow. So that was that was so one, apropos. Uh, wow. Yeah. Living, uh, and I, I, I really shed tears for the many doctors who have to make those kinds of choices yeah. and admire them incredibly. Thank you, Jessica. Your your portrait's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So we um we have is Allison our uh, Chakwadi? Are you are you in the studio? I am. Can you hear me? Yeah. Sure can. And Michelle, are you in the studio? (laughs) Michelle, are you in the studio? May not uh, not she yet. Not okay. And well, it's it's um uh, it's nine thirty eight. Um and uh, <laughs> Nicole, are you in the studio? Okay. And um and Mimi, she's by recording. Okay. So um, <laughs> uh, Chakwadi, uh, you're just such a fabulous poet, singer. I would say you were a backup singer. You're a singer. <laughs> Actor, writer, <laughs> lyricist, you. event planner, publicist, and um, yeah, you're just an all-around artist. You're just fabulous. I am such a fan. So, what do you plan on sharing with us this morning? Um, I um, I think I wrote something several um, months ago 
about um, kind of sort of about homelessness and the situation in Oakland. And um, there was a line in it. Somehow it just grasped me, and I was looking for a bio for Kim. It, it caught my eye. Um, so I'm going to read that. Um, but I also just want to let you know I'm going to be uh, accompanied by uh, my boyfriend, um, K.I. Nicholas, as well on guitar. Oh, we got music? Uh, oh, that's so cool. Wow. Nice. Impromptu. He just happened to be here. Um uh, what was I say? Oh, now open with the um, a spiritual. Okay. Way in the water. Way in the water, children. Way in the water. God has troubled the water. God has troubled the world. People in Oakland living under freeways side railways on islands in the middle of the road. Some of their some of their some of their stuff in cars, some of their stuff they roll. Some of their some of their stuff in cars, some of their stuff they roll. She was shopping in the Dollar Tree like me. Squeezing every item into her budget of two dollars, maybe three. I didn't look too hard. I didn't stare. Because it looked like she was stealing over there. But we met each other's eyes in the checkout line when I attempted to say hi. Hello. She looked away and kept on talking to herself or someone that I could be. She wore summer clothes because it was hot, a bikini top, a pair of shorts, and a scarf to cover her hair. She only had two items, so I asked her, can I get that? You only have two items. She interrupted her conversation with herself and said, yes, yeah, yeah. And then the checker checked and checked and checked and checked and checked and checked and checked my seven items plus her two. It feels good when you can pay it forward. But it feels bad when you can't do anything about the big, much bigger problem of people sleeping under freeways and railways on islands in the middle of the road. (laughs) 
I love that. I love the music. Wow. That was wonderful. That Thank was you. beautiful. So sad. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Just a we reflection of y'all, my mentors, two of my mentors. Oh, you're you're brilliant all by yourself. <laughs> you're so kind. You brilliant. Yeah, yeah you were born kind. brilliant. Yeah, you're. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you thank so you. much, Tokwadi. And um, wow. Oh, you're and your, thank you for and your, the show, your company yeah. as your boyfriend. Wow. Thank you, too. Yes. Yes. She's wow. wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay. Y'all, too. You guys, too. All right. Thank you. Blessings. Bye-bye. So, Kim, I think um, our. Uh, Guest is in the studio. Um, oh, great! Great. Is uh, is uh, Michelle Allison with us, or Nicola or Adams, or Nicola Adams? Either one. Nicola or Michelle? Is anyone on the line? Well, well how about they're not in the studio, so that's okay. Let's play. Um, why don't we introduce um, Mimi uh, Mutisa, associate producer of the Daily DC podcast um, at CNN. And she um, she's at work, so she um, <laughs> kindly recorded uh, her two poems for us, and and I um, I'm going to play them. They're really really wonderful. I'm going to play the short one first because um, I really like the second one. I mean I like them both, but I really like um, Fall in Love. <laughs> so we're going to end yes. with Fall in Love. So we're going to start with um, Strangers. Are we none? Oh, how I delight in the assumption of strangers. Yet strangers are we none, but mere souls, stitches of the same fabric, drops of the same ocean, divided at birth, parted by a breath of promised reunion. So we roam the earth, led in the soles of our shoes, hope in the cavities and strongholds of our chests, and we tell ourselves, this may be the day, perhaps it's today, and suddenly, one day is today. We may have traversed the world, lost ourselves in chock-full cities, found ourselves on desolate highways, perhaps forgetting the promise of our journey to begin with. But finally, here we are, strangers. Yet, strangers are we none. I used to believe in one love, one love for one lifetime. The fireworks of a teenage dream, zipping through the months, but fading into dying years. How much more wonderful to sink in love with everything. Fall in love with the vastness of the sky. Drown in love with the gap-toothed smile of a stranger. Dabble in the cynical humor of your best friend's boyfriend. N'oubliez pas d'aimer comment ta mère a t'aidé chaque jour avec ta français. With the children, smiles as big as Kansas, running through the sprinklers. Fall in love with Thomas's timidity in basketball, despite being the tallest of them all. With Michael who liked to rap in Russian, and held his hand to his hip as he did. Fall in love with the ugliness of the world, with the smog that hides her curves, with the ugliness with which her mouth spits the truth. Fall in love with her hills, her mountains, 
her glacial peaks before they all melt away. Fall in love with her beauty, with the vulnerability with which she starts her days, hoping in vain that they end better than the last. Fall in love with the little black boy and the little white boy whispering over a comic. Fall in love with their belief that life will always be as wonderful. Fall in love with the night and all her endless possibilities. Fall in love with books. Lose yourself in soft paperbacks and the lives you can pretend to live, if only for an hour or two. Fall in love with the stained glass windows, painting the shadows of rainbows. Most importantly, fall in love with yourself. Fall in love with yourself today, and tomorrow, and the day after that, and all the days that follow. Mesmerize yourself with the way your afro frames your face like a cloud, the way your voice sounds in the shower, and the way your eyes go wide as the moon at a surprise. Love your reflection every time you pass a mirror and love her fiercely. Love yourself and everything around you before you chase something that could change its mind tomorrow. Mm. So that was Mimi. That was really lovely. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Mimi. Uh, Wherever you are, CNN, thank you. (laughs) That was absolutely (laughs) beautiful. I fell in love. Do you have a poem you'd like to read, Um, Wanda? No, I'm just sharing poems about Dr. King, um, and I have a, another one. Um, it's a short one okay. from from that same um, article. Um, you know, the five poets, and um, and this particular one is Martin Luther King Jr. mourns Trayvon Martin by Lauren K. Um, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I'll, I'll, I'm not sure. It's A L L E Y N E. So I'm not sure how to pronounce that, and uh, and and the uh, the writer says she's speaking to ancestral presence and pervasive white violence against black people. Um, the poet honors King by imagining what he'd say to Trayvon Martin upon meeting him in the afterlife. So here's the poem: For you, son, I dreamed a childhood unburdened by hate, a boyhood of adventure, skin knees and hoops. First loves and small rebellions. So that's that poem. Kim, do you have something else you'd like to share? Oh, sure. I wrote a poem um, about two days ago. I think I read it to you, um, but I may have not. You know, oh, I, yeah, I, I, it's I, really I, nice. Yes, I really like oh, it. Mm-hmm. It's called The Last Gasp. Um, mm-hmm. How can we know that the words of our youth will come back to haunt us, or that words unspoken will scream without voice for decades. How can we understand a love that does not die, but grows like weeds refusing to surrender? How can I feel so much when so many years have passed? I seem to glide between lifetimes, hoping to capture what may no longer exist, and then I see you in pictures, in my mind's eye, and in my dreams. And I long for a fusion of the past, present, and perhaps a future. Until those dreams run red like fire, flames bursting through me in the hope that we might touch you, that they might touch you. And then we dance, that age-old dance, and words are without meaning, and the future is the present, and life is all we have, and is still. And it is alive, and I am hopelessly spinning 
towards time and space, gathering the promises of our youth and praying that the past and the future may heal each other. Mm, nice. nice. Well, I, yeah. you know, I, I really, you know, we, we think the older we get, we look at our past, and, I, and that was really about looking at our past. Um, the, the young lady, Michelle Allison, who didn't, um, who wasn't able to get here, wrote a really cute poem that I mm. believe should be in school <laughs> because of what it what it says about uh, us. Um, may I read that? Oh yeah, please. And do you have Nicola's as well? Yes, I do. Um, oh, why don't you if, read them both? If we have, all right. Do, do we have time? Okay. Yeah. Um, Michelle Allison's poem, she's a Merced resident and is okay. just a beautiful woman, a community organizer. It's called Wash Your Hands, Don't Touch Your Eyes. I am frightened. I am scared. There is something, a virus, floating in the air. It does not see color. It does play fair. It just takes life, sucks out all your air. Life is scary at this time. Wash your hands. Don't touch your eyes. Make a mistake. It may be your last. Wash your hands. Stay inside. Some people listen. Some think it's jive. Last time I checked, some had died. I believe this too shall pass. Until then you could pass. Until then, then you could pass. A deadly virus accurately unintended from not listening, touching your eyes, gathering in groups, acting like you've got nothing to lose. Okay, you may not, but I do. So I ask you, please adhere to the facts. There's a virus floating in the air that will, that does, that is, killing families, friends, and lovers every day, every minute, every hour. Sadly, right now, the virus has the power. So wash your hands, don't touch your eyes, and please, please stay inside. <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> that's oh, a that's good reminder. great. Yeah, that's very really good. good but, it's, but, it's, but I love the humor I hear in your voice. Yeah. Yeah, nice. because <laughs> it, it's, just, it's the idea that Times are changing. We're, we're not the same, and and we mm-hmm. have to remember that that we need to be careful. We love we love a lot of people, and we don't. We want the best for each one of those, and the best that we can do is be careful and make sure that we are doing what is needed, so that we mm-hmm. don't cause harm to others, at least intentionally. Right, and you just think about, you know, Michael, you know, he can't visit his father because his father's, you know, in a, um, uh, in a nursing yes. facility and, and, you know, and his, his health is really fragile and so are yes. the other people that live there. So, you know, you can't visit as much as you like when yes. during, you know, this times like this when there are, you know, contagious diseases, you know, in, in the community that you could unknowingly carry to people that, you know, are not as strong physically as you are. Yeah, yeah, because I know my friend um, who's 97, her son just passed last week, 
and he was in a similar situation and she she couldn't go see him because she's 97 and she's locked in she said where she's staying and then he's in a hospice and so she can't go there because you know they don't want her to um put her right. at risk yeah yeah so it's you know it's really I, I sad but i think why what we're doing is important you know mm-hmm. as poets as writers we have an opportunity to not only educate but also to help people that just a word, maybe something that they hear on this um, program might make them feel better, mm-hmm. might bring yeah. s- some ease to them, and that's what we can mm-hmm. hope. You know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the perfect, perfect type of um, of uh, form and format. Yeah. You know, when when a person is you know, sheltering in place. <laughs> you know, um, you could this this particular um, show is portable. You know, all you need is some exactly. technology. <laughs> yeah, you can be at mm-hmm. the beach. You can listen to it anywhere. You know, right, and, and right. the great thing is, uh, for those who are listening now, that um, Wanda, you put you put the shows up so that mm-hmm. people who do not have the opportunity to listen can listen at a later date, which is really nice. Yeah, well, really it's, nice. it's on iTunes, and, and, you know, you can download the app, and you could follow me. <laughs> so, you know, when I have Thank special you. broadcasts yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's pretty pretty easy, and I've been around since 2008, so I'm not going anywhere. I kind of like this. And it's really great having a co-host. That's kind of neat. I like that, Kim. Um, so do you have? So you do you want to do you want to read Nicola's uh, poem? Oh sure. And tell us a little um, bit about her. Sure. Nicola is a realtor and um, for Caldwell Banker Ganella Realty in Merced, California, where I live, and she's the owner of Mrs. Adams Gourmet Cookies, the Cookies with an Attitude. Um, mm. Nicola wrote a poem as a favor to me because for Poetry Month we have a I have a poetry column in our local paper, and they're asking Merced residents to you know give us poems, and mm. for the column it's called Community and Poetry, and so this is Nicola's poem, and it goes My knight in shining shining armor, my knight in shining armor wasn't young. He was in his 70s when he rescued me. His armor was a suit, tie suspenders, and the word of God. His sword, the Bible. With love, he took me into his home. Every every week we went to his castle, the Antioch Baptist Church, filled with other knights called deacons, women called mothers, children who became my cousins, he taught me how to make community family, how to love everyone, see beyond the outside, bring people together. And though the night has been gone these 33 years, I miss my uncle as much now as then. Thank you, and I love you, Reverend Thomas Coleman Wynn. Reverend Wynn was a major figure in Merced's history because he helped people. If his, If he was alive now, He'd be walking through the streets, helping people, saying, get in the house, or basically doing things that that would make a difference because he was that kind of person. He was a very well-known figure in Merced. 
And, and Nicole, I thank you for this poem because it's a reminder of our history as Merced people. Thank you. Yeah, very so, nice. Well, thank you, Kim, so much for uh, curating. You know, such a wonderful program. It was really lovely, and um, um, I'm gonna play play some more some more selections um, from my uh, Dr. King um, research. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna play um, uh, a song that um, uh, Sweet Honey and the Rock. Um, Performed and uh, and Bernice Reagan was alive then. It's called "Ain't That Good News," and uh, it's really, really a really wonderful song, and it's really uplifting. Um, do you have any any um, parting words? Uh, what's the name of the newspaper that you um, it's called uh, the you curated Times. this this column? What's it called? Say it again. It's called the, Mer- it's called the Merced County Times, and the column is Merced called County Community Times. and Poetry. And it's going to run for the entire month of, 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 of April. But I'm hoping to get another newspaper so because we have a lot of poems, and they're not always mm-hmm. all from p- people in Merced. And I would like them mm-hmm. all to be in another paper so that we can showcase, you know, poetry for National Poetry mm-hmm. Month. It's really important. Right. Yeah. Well, Thank cool. You. So we're going to have some more poets on next week. Um for the last half an hour of the show and um and you know since this is also um uh jazz heritage month um you know maybe we might have some poets that have you know like Avacha she's a musician too you know that have put their work you know to music or have a collaboration so they do both so that'd be kind of super yeah So I am going to um, to play this song, and uh, if you all want to stay in the studio and listen, you can. Um, if you need to dash, don't worry. Um, you'll be able to listen to it later. <laughs> so thank you so much, everyone, for, for joining us today to share this wonderful work. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you have a good rest of the day. Peace and blessings. Lesson is for you tonight 
November the 8th, 1980, in All Souls Church, lay down the world, pick up my cross. And they don't say it's good times, they say good news. It's hard times when you decide to pick up your own cross. You're going to catch hell if you don't do it the way they say do it. But when you lay down the world and shoulder up your cross, that's what? And I need some help. <laughs> Ain't that good news? Oh, now I got shoes in that kingdom. Ain't that good news? And I ain't got enough harmony in here. Come on, y'all. Give me some help. Ha. I got shoes in that kingdom. Is that good news? Hey, 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 hey. I'm going to take the Help me sing. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. Come on. Turn me around. Who got the beat? Turn me. Ain't gonna. Come on. I can't hear you. I'm gonna walk and keep on talking, marching on the freedom land. 
ain't gonna, come on, nobody. Oh, turn me around. Ain't gonna let. Turn me. I'm gonna keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up it up. It is time again. It is time again to question death's very impetus. I say time, and the Atlanta skyline falls from my mouth like teeth. It is 1906, and again my body riots. It is November 21st at Standing Rock. It is Ferguson, late summer 2014. It is the 21st day of this new year, young time. (laughs) What is time to a nation unmoved? If this room were safe, we call it sanctuary, an Ebenezer of sorts. I mean to imply your existence is indeed a testimony. I mean to communicate the gravity of your tongue, the urgency of the hour. Every time someone mentions the king, I see Claudette Colvin bent at her waist. I see Fannie Lou at a piano, Coretta curing and Brian. I say death, and I mean the bodies manipulated into mud are our inertia. When we're urged to remember them, what our nation means is wash my hands clean of your blood. The truth, buried, does not rot, it roots. The king, the king, buried, does not die, he blooms. No, this isn't a eulogy for some Messiah reincarnate. That is a job for the heretics. I do not believe one man stood taller than the people I know better. I know about the women who led Calvaries. I know about the women who led Calvaries, who were beaten into fleshy ruin by the police and their husbands. I know queer folk. I know queer folk who wrung their backs out for somebody's strategy, then were left behind like waste in the sun. I know about the children. I know about the lesions of young, battered by dogs, by torrents of water and rain. Today is a day for the entire kingdom. Not one king. History is ironic. History is ironic. This, a holiday observed by an administration selling children. An administration determined to build walls instead of schools. Are we, are we fools to speak of dreams today? What, with working class people living beneath bridges 200 feet from here? What, with trans women dead at 28? What dreams, America? What king do you celebrate into ruin? Let's not end these moments with sound bites. Just today in Miami, black children took to a highway in protest, a tactic perfected by Martin Luther himself. The signs say shit like, black lives matter, like, bikes up, guns down, like, equitable housing now. Of course, it couldn't have just been a moment in triumph. I should not have been surprised when a man pulls from his waist a gun, enraged at the simple inconvenience. Stupid niggas, he says, get out my way, of course. America, that's your child, of course. My babies didn't flinch, familiar with the threat of their blood, waiting to spill. Of course, America, our babies dream of days just like this. 
on us singing memorial to our history. Meanwhile, America, they wake up to a world filled with barrels, bullets, their names spiraled to the side. What dream? What dream? What docile martyr? What legacy of silent white bodies? What, what, what dream, America? Allies, their mouths red with my blood. America, I remember what dreams can do. For a black girl in Atlanta, they stretched a spine erect toward the sun. They gave my mouth audacity each time. If dreams died each, of, each time one of us was gunned down, America, yours would be a fitful sleep. I know that's not it. Here I stand, despite America, if you're a white woman in San Francisco, a revolutionary in South Brazil, breathing life into the dreams of my people, it's yours. Take it. It's yours. Do something. America, our babies line the highways, ready to riot. What then will you say? And that was another poet from the uh, Five Poets Honor, Dr. King, um, Nadia Alexis. Wonderful um, piece that she wrote quite a while ago. And that particular, um, well, not too long ago, because this poet, um, her name is uh, Ariel um, Lucier, uh, what Dream America, she uh, performed that poem at uh, Bringing the Noise for Dr. King, um, an annual event that happens on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and this was um, in January 2019. And uh, again, um, you can you can find it. Um, I'm have, I have links to the poems um, in the uh, description if you want to go revisit and listen to it a little more slowly. So we are going to close out I think, with um, Sonia Sanchez, since we opened with Sonia Sanchez. But this particular poem that Sonia Sanchez wrote, a uh, letter to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is has been um, reimagined by Sweet Honey and the Rock. They actually um, com- you know, compose music and sing it. So it's really, really lovely. And um, if you want to look at it online, they have a really wonderful um, um, visuals that are connected to it. And I think she wrote this in 1988 when Dr. King would have been 58, I think. Um, Yeah, Um, check the math. (laughs) So anyway, um, thank you again so much for um, for helping us bring in – uh, National Poetry Month, and uh, and yeah, um, definitely tune in on Wednesday for another edition of Wanda's Picks, um, 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Peace and blessings, everybody. Dear Martin, Martin, Martin. great God, I want you to know that the sun is rolling in from faraway places. I want you to reach now. Circling these bare trees like some reverend lover. I've been standing still listening to the morning, and I hear your voice crouched near hills, rising.
that was Sweet Honey in the Rock, Ella's song. And um, so now I'm going to play, um, in our remaining time, the um, the speech, uh, the last speech that Dr. King gave um, the night before he was killed. And it's um, it's called I Have Been to the Mountaintop, because that's one of that's a famous section of the of the of the speech and um it's about 43 minutes long and I don't know if we have 43 minutes left in the show um technically so um you might not get to hear it all but you can go online and, and read it or listen to it but you'll get most of it um at least 30 minutes of it so again uh we're going we're pouring an ashe this morning for Dr. King um for his legacy for his life and for the lessons um an example he set, and as uh, one of the poets said, you know, it's not about necessarily idol worship. It's, it's like recognizing the greatness in another. It's like recognizing the greatness in oneself. And this is a time where we need to sort of come into that particular aspect of our our, our greatness. We need to like pull it up, because um, the new normal is perhaps a good thing because the old normal was not that great. So. Anyway, um, as Alice Walker says, we are the change, right? Um, So here is the speech. And, uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Peace and blessings. Thank you very kindly, my friends. As I listen to Ralph Abernathy and his eloquent and generous introduction, and uh, then thought about myself, I wondered who he was talking about. (laughs) It's always good to have your closest friend and associate to say something good about you. And Ralph Abernathy is the best friend that I have in the world. I'm delighted to see each of you here tonight in spite of a storm warning. You reveal that you are determined to go on anyhow. Something is happening in Memphis, something is happening in our world. And you know, if I was standing at the beginning of time with the possibility of taking a kind of general and panoramic view of the whole of human history up to now. And the Almighty said to me, Martin Luther King, which age would you like to live in? I would take my mental flight by Egypt. And I would watch God's children in their magnificent trek 
from the dark dungeons of Egypt through, or rather across the Red Sea, through the wilderness on toward the Promised Land. And in spite of its magnificence, I wouldn't stop there. I would move on by Greece and take my mind to Mount Olympus. And I would see Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Euripides, and Aristophanes assemble around the Parthenon. And I would watch them around the Parthenon as they discussed the great and eternal issues of reality, but I wouldn't stop there. I would go on even to the great heyday of the Roman Empire. And I would see developments around there through various emperors and leaders, but I wouldn't stop there. I would even come up to the day of the Renaissance and get a quick picture of all that the Renaissance did for the cultural and aesthetic life of man, but I wouldn't stop there. I would even go by the way that the man for whom I'm named had his habitat. And I would watch Martin Luther as he tacked his 95 theses on the door at the Church of Wittenberg, but I wouldn't stop there. I would come on up even to 1863 and watch a vacillating president by the name of Abraham Lincoln finally come to the conclusion that he had to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, but I wouldn't stop there. I would even come up to the early 30s and see a man grappling with the problems of the bankruptcy of his nation and come with an eloquent cry that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. But I wouldn't stop there. Strangely enough, I would turn to the Almighty and say, if you allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Now, that's a strange statement to make because the world is all messed up. The nation is sick, trouble is in the land, confusion all around. That's a strange statement. But I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And I see God working in this period of the 20th century in a way 
that men in some strange way are responding. Something is happening in our world. The masses of people are rising up, and wherever they are assembled today, whether they are in Johannesburg, South Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, Accra, Ghana, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, Jackson, Mississippi, or Memphis, Tennessee, the cry is always the same, we want to be free. And another reason that I'm happy to live in this period is that we have been forced to a point where we are going to have to grapple with the problems that men have been trying to grapple with through history, but the demands didn't force them to do it. Survival demands that we grapple with them. Men for years now have been talking about war and peace, but now no longer can they just talk about it. It is no longer the choice between violence and non-violence in this world is non-violence or non-existence. That is where we are today. And also in the human rights revolution, if something isn't done and done in a hurry, to bring the colored peoples of the world out of their long years of poverty, their long years of hurt and neglect, the whole world is doomed. Now, I'm just happy that God has allowed me to live in this period to see what is unfolding. And I'm happy that he's allowed me to be in Memphis. I can remember, I can remember when Negroes were just going around, as Ralph has said, so often scratching where they didn't itch and laughing when they were not tickled. But that day is all over. We mean business now and we are determined to gain our rightful place in God's world. And that's all this whole thing is about. We aren't engaged in any negative protests and in any negative arguments with anybody. We are saying that we are determined to be men. We are determined to be people. We are saying We are saying that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, we don't have to live like we are 
forced to live. Now, what does all of this mean in this great period of history? It means that we've got to stay together. We've got to stay together and maintain unity. You know, whenever Pharaoh wanted to prolong the period of slavery in Egypt, he had a favorite, favorite formula for doing it. What was that? He kept the slaves fighting among themselves. But whenever the slaves get together, something happens in Pharaoh's court, and he cannot hold the slaves in slavery. When the slaves get together, that's the beginning of getting out of slavery. Now let us maintain unity. Secondly, let us keep the issues where they are. The issue is injustice. The issue is the refusal of Memphis to be fair and honest in its dealings with its public servants who happen to be sanitation workers. Now we've got to keep attention on that. That's always the problem with a little violence. You know what happened the other day, and the press dealt only with the window breaking. I read the article. They very seldom got around to mentioning the fact that 1,300 sanitation workers are on strike and that Memphis is not being fair to them and that Mayor Loeb is in dire need of a doctor. They didn't get around to that. Now we're going to march again, and we've got to march again, in order to put the issue where it is supposed to be. And force everybody to see that there are 1,300 of God's children here suffering sometimes going hungry, going through dark and dreary nights, wondering how this thing is going to come out. That's the issue. And we've got to say to the nation, we know how it's coming out. For when people get caught up with that which is right and they are willing to sacrifice for it, there is no stopping point short of victory. We aren't going to let any may stop us. We are masters in our nonviolent movement in disarming police forces. They don't know what to do. I've seen them so often. I remember in Birmingham, Alabama, 
When we were in that majestic struggle there, we would move out of the 16th Street Baptist Church day after day. By the hundreds, we would move out, and Bull Connor would tell them to send the dogs for And they did come. But we just went before the dogs singing, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. <laughs> Bull Connor next would say, turn the fire hoses on. And as I said to you the other night, Bull Connor didn't know history. He knew a kind of physics that somehow didn't relate to the trans physics that we knew about. And that was the fact that there was a certain kind of fire that no water could put out. And we went before the fire hoses. We had known water. If we were Baptists or some other denomination, we had been immersed. If we were Methodists and some others, we had been sprinkled. But we knew water. That couldn't stop us. And we just went on before the dogs, and we would look at them, and we'd go on before the water hoses, and we would look at it, and we'd just go on singing, over my head, I see freedom in there. And then we would be thrown into paddy wagons, and sometimes we were stacked in there like sardines in a can. And they would throw us in, and old bull would say, Take them off. And they did, and we were just gone in the paddy wagon singing, We Shall Overcome. And every now and then we'd get in jail and we'd see the jailers looking through the windows, being moved by our prayer and being moved by our words and our songs. And there was a power there which Bull Connor couldn't adjust, adjust to. And so we ended up transforming Bull into a steer, and we won our struggle in Birmingham. Now we've got to go on in Memphis just like that. I call upon you to be with us when we go out Monday. Now about injunctions. We have an injunction, and we're going into court tomorrow morning to fight this illegal, unconstitutional injunction. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in... China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly, somewhere I read of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read, of the freedom of press, somewhere I read, 
that the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights. So just as I say, we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. We are going on. We need all of you. And you know what's beautiful to me? It's to see all of these ministers of the gospel. It's a marvelous picture. Who is it that is supposed to articulate the longings and aspirations of the people more than the preacher? Somehow the preacher must have a kind of fire shut up in his bones. And whenever injustice is around, he must tell it. Somehow the preacher must be an Amos said, when God speaks, who can but prophesy? Again, with Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Somehow the preacher must say with Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And he's anointed me to deal with the problems of the poor. And I want to commend the preachers under the leadership of these noble men, James Lawson, one who has been in this struggle for many years. He's been to jail for struggling. He's been kicked out of Vanderbilt University for this struggling, but he's still going on fighting for the rights of his people. Yeah. Reverend Ralph Jackson, Billy Kyle, I could just go right on down the list. It's time will not permit, but I want to thank all of them. And I want you to thank them. Because so often, preachers aren't concerned about anything but themselves. And I'm always happy to see a relevant ministry. It's all right to talk about long white robes over yonder in all of its symbolism. But ultimately, people want some suits and dresses and shoes to wear down here. It's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey, but God has commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square meals a day. It's all right to talk about the new Jerusalem, but one day God's preacher must talk about the new New York, the new Atlanta, the new Philadelphia, the new Los Angeles, the new Memphis, Tennessee. This is what we have to do. Now, the other thing we'll have to do is this. Always anchor our external direct action. 
with the power of economic withdrawal. Now, we are poor people. Individually, we are poor when you compare us with white society in America. We are poor. Never stop and forget that collectively, that means all of us together, collectively we are richer than all the nations in the world with the exception of nine. Did you ever think about that? After you leave the United States, Soviet Russia, Great Britain, West Germany, France, and I can name others, the American Negro collectively is richer than most nations of the world. We have an annual income of more than $30 billion a year, which is more than all of the exports of the United States and more than the national budget of Canada. Did you know that? That's power right there if we know how to prove it. We don't have to argue with anybody. We don't have to curse and go around acting bad with our words. We don't need any bricks and bottles. We don't need any Molotov cocktails. We just need to go around to these stores and to these massive industries in our country and say, God sent us by here to say to you that you're not treating his children right. And we come by here to ask you to make the first item on your agenda fair treatment where God's children are concerned. Now, if you are not prepared to do that, we do have an agenda that we must follow. And our agenda calls for withdrawing economic support from you. As a result of this, we're asking you tonight to go out and tell your neighbors not to buy Coca-Cola in Memphis. Go by and tell them not to buy sealed test milk. Tell them not to buy what is all the bread, Wonder Bread. And what is other bread come to Jesse? Tell them not to buy hard bread. As Jesse Jackson has said, up to now, only the garbage men have been feeling pain. Now we must kind of redistribute the pain. We are choosing these companies because they have been fair in their hiring policies, and we are choosing them because they can begin the process of saying they are going to support 
the needs and the rights of these men who are on track. And then they can move on town, downtown and tell Mayor Loeb to do what is right. Now, not only that, we've got to strengthen black institutions. I call upon you to take your money out of the banks downtown and deposit your money in Tri-State Bank. We want a bank-in movement in Memphis. Go by the Savings and Loan Association. I'm not asking you something that we don't do ourselves in SCLC. Judge Hooks and others will tell you that we have an account here in the Savings and Loan Association from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. We are telling you to follow what we are doing. Put your money there. You have six or seven black insurance companies here in the city of Memphis. Take out your insurance there. We want to have an insurance in. Now, these are some practical things that we can do. We begin the process of building a great economic base. And at the same time, we are putting pressure where it really hurts. I ask you to follow through here. Now let me say as I move to my conclusion that we've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. We've got to see it through. When we have our march, you need to be there. If it means leaving work, if it means leaving school, be there. Be concerned about your brother, you may not be on track, but either we go up together or we go down together. Let us develop.